This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. When we ourselves get into a situation where we're sinning before God and we're disobeying Him, the key is surrender early. Because if we will just come clean with God and realize, yeah, this is sin in my life and I want to confess this, I want to get right with you, we spare ourselves tremendous amount of hardship. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Do we understand? How many times will it take us to understand that we bring hardship and difficulty upon ourselves when we continue in unrepentant sin? Some people are hard-headed. Once we get it in mind that we're going to do something, there's nothing that can stop us, even if we're dead wrong. If anyone gets in our way, then we tear them down and cut them out of our lives. It's just the way things are. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches you that when you're unwilling to turn back from sin, then you're going to face some serious consequences. Don't harden your heart towards God, but instead listen and obey when He calls you out on your sin. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 20, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Sometimes in the course of life, there are periods of like highs and periods of lows, periods of victories and periods of defeat. There's going to be a time in your Christian walk where you feel like this is a good day and other days, this is a really terrible day. And don't think to yourselves that you're necessarily out of the will of God, because even in the will of God, there are tragic and difficult things that happen. Well, now let's look at day three, verse 29. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah, and the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at the other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. They began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah. And in the field, about 30 men of Israel. And it says the children of Benjamin said, they are defeated before us as at first. Well, they don't know here what's going to happen. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. And then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba, and 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword." Okay, now, if you remember at the top of the Bible study, there were 400,000 Israelis from the 11 tribes. How many were there from the tribe of Benjamin? 26,000. How many got slaughtered here? 25,100. There's only 900 soldiers left. This battle is fierce. This is a swift defeat. 
Now, between verse 36 down to verse 46, it's basically kind of a play-by-play of the battle. So I'm just going to read through it without commentary. So verse 36. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel. For they said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. And therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. That's the first 18,000 out of the 25,100. All these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gidom and killed 2,000 of them. So all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these were men of valor. So here's point number two. This is important for us. Surrender early. The more we continue to sin against God, the more we suffer for it. Here's the reason I say this. The tribe of Benjamin had been given multiple opportunities to just stop and realize that what happened in Gibeah was sinful before God. They could have, you know, administered justice to the few who were a part of that terrible scene in Gibeah, and thousands would have been spared. You know, at first, when the Israelites tried diplomatic negotiations with their fellow brothers, the Benjamites, the Benjamites could have just owned up right then, turned over the guys who were guilty, and look how many end up dying in battle among the Benjamites, 25,100. All those people's lives could have been spared. But they didn't surrender. They decided they're going to push forward with something that was terrible. They were defending people who shouldn't have been defended. And in the end, it cost them severely. The idea here is that when we ourselves get into a situation where we're sinning before God and we're disobeying him, the key is surrender early. Because if we will just come clean with God and realize, yeah, this is sin in my life and I want to confess this, I want to get right with you, we spare ourselves tremendous amount of hardship. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Do we understand, how many times will it take us to understand that we bring hardship and difficulty upon ourselves when we continue in unrepentant sin? God is a gracious God. He is a wonderful, loving Father. He is ready to forgive us if we would just come clean and get right with Him. We could spare ourselves so much heartache. The Benjamites here incur their own calamity because they're too stubborn to repent before God. And so that's the message. That's the takeaway. Now, take a look. Verse 47. But 600 men turned and fled. Now, this is about all. You know, out of the 900, now we're down to 600 soldiers among the Benjamites. The 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, and they stayed at the rock of Ramon for four months. 
And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. Now, God didn't tell them to do this. What we see happening here is this is literally overkill. They are going above and beyond. And now they are going to have regrets. Chapter 21. Take a look. Now the men of Israel had sworn on an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Mizpah is an important city in the Bible in the Old Testament. Mizpah will be the place later we will read in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where Samuel gathers the nation of Israel together for a time of repentance. And it is also the place, Mizpah in 1 Samuel chapter 10, where they end up choosing the first king of Israel. Not because that was God's will, but God was determined to give them what they wanted so they could understand how it would have been better if they had just stayed with God as king. And so Saul will be chosen as the first king there in Mizpah. So it's an important city. It's a national rallying point. The nation of Israel, the 11 tribes have gotten together, and they make this vow here in verse 1. None of us shall give his daughters to Benjamin as a wife. So, you know, there were still a few hundred of the Benjamite soldiers who were still alive. There were still other men who were not necessarily a fighting age that were you know, younger and still living among the tribe of Benjamin. So they had not been completely annihilated. But the 11 tribes decide, in addition to, you know, slaughtering most of them, we're not going to give any of our daughters as wives. Like, they're not going to be able to repopulate. Like, just let them become extinct. That's the idea that they have here. And then verse 2, then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? Okay, now let me read this again and just, you know, do you realize what they're asking here? They're like, God, God, why? Why has this come upon us here in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing? Why do you have to ask God this? You slaughtered them. They don't need to even inquire of the Lord. The reason why one tribe is missing is because they practically slaughtered the entire tribe. So what's happening here is they now are having kind of buyer's remorse, if you will. They're having regrets. They're like, you know what? We're going to slaughter them. We're going to do even more than what God told us. We're going to start wiping them out every city we can find them in. Oh, and by the way, we're not even going to give our daughters to the surviving men as wives. Just let the whole tribe be exterminated. And then they go to the house of the Lord and they're like, Lord, what have we done? You know, what have we done? We basically wiped out an entire tribe of our people here, almost. And so verse 4, and so it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. 
And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain, seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives? Okay, so now they're trying to identify. What can we do? And so they start to wonder, well, who didn't show up here at Mizpah? Verse 8. And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. Now look what happens. So the congregation sent out there 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them saying, go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. And so they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. All right, your attention for a moment. What is happening? What's happening is they realize this is a regrettable thing. We almost slaughtered an entire tribe of the Benjamites, and they're not going to get repopulated because we made an oath that we are not going to give our daughters as wives to them. So... Now, pause, then they ask, and by the way, who didn't show up here to this little group meeting at Mizpah? They're like, you know what, all the people of Jabesh Gilead. Okay, you know what, let's go slaughter them. What? (laughs) Wait, 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 didn't you just learn that you shouldn't have slaughtered all the Benjamites as much as you did? That was like overkill. Now you want to go find more people to kill. Like, what is happening here? Okay, so here's point number three. Don't compound a foolish decision by making another foolish decision. Repent of the first one and seek the Lord. That's what they should have done. But again, this is an epilogue added for our benefit. That this is just spiritual insanity. And this is like moral calamity here. This is what is happening in Israel at this time. This is not even rational. They get to the place where they are gripped with remorse that they've almost exterminated a whole tribe, and now they just want to go slaughter the men at Jabesh Gilead who didn't show up for the big family meeting. And so off they go. And after they slaughtered the people of Jabesh Gilead, who's left but 400 virgins, 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Now here's what the 11 tribes, the Israelites, are going to basically decide. Okay. So we've wiped out everybody at Jabesh Gilead, but we have 400 virgins from Jabesh Gilead. So here's what we'll do. We'll give them, we'll give them as wives to the few Benjamite men who are still alive, and then they can repopulate the tribe. And that's what they do. This is the rest of the chapter. Verse 13. And then the whole congregation sent word, this is kind of a bizarre way that they go about this, but look, then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Ramon and announced peace to them. And so Benjamin came back at that time. They're like, okay, we're not going to kill you anymore. Come on, come out of the hiding. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet they had not found enough for them. Okay, so 
If, in fact, the 600 soldiers who survived are the same 600, you only have 400 virgins, so there's not enough, but okay, something's happening. Verse 15, and the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Well, it was the Lord, I mean, you know, the, the Lord said, all right, you know, show them justice, but they went above and beyond and they showed them vengeance. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And when they took matters into their own hands, they ended up doing something that was more than what they should pin on the Lord. Well, verse 16, then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters. The children of Israel have sworn an oath saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. And then they said, in fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. And therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, go. This is where it just gets funny. This is just go, lie in wait in the vineyards and watch And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh and then go to the land of Benjamin. What? What is happening here? Okay, it just goes from crazy to bizarre. So it's like the Israelites are like, okay, you know what? We're not going to give the Benjamites our daughters. Okay, but instead let's go slaughter the bunch of people in Jabesh Gilead. Okay, let's slaughter them. And then they slaughter the people in Jabesh Gilead. Who's left? We got 400 virgins. All right, let's use them. Let's send them to the men of Benjamin, because we're not giving our daughters. We'll give these 400 virgins from Jabesh Gilead, and we'll let the men of Benjamin marry them and repopulate the tribe. However, however, we don't want to just give them to them, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to say to these 400 virgins, you guys just dance, just frolic around, like just start dancing around. And all the Benjamite guys are going to say, you hide in the bushes, hide in the vineyards, hide in the vineyards. And so all these Benjamite guys are like crouching in the vineyards. And like, and when you see the ladies just like dancing and frolicking, you go after them and get a wife. That's what's happening here. This is like so strange. It's like, you know, it was before they had, you know, Tinder. So it's just like, let's just uh, hide uh, among the Tinder vineyards and then we'll scare you and then you'll be our wife. And that's what they did. So it's crazy stuff here, but this is what they did. Verse 22. And then it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain that we will say to them, be kind to them. For our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war, for it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. And they took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Gotcha. Want to be my wife? I don't have any choice now. And then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. And so the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. And then here's this closing verse that is the commentary on the whole book of Judges. Look at it. Let's read it out loud. The last verse here, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Closing point, lesson for us, please do what is right in God's eyes. This book is kind of a low point in Israel's history. There was this cycle of sin when 
They were right with God. They had peace. But then they often gave in to idolatry of the nations around them. So God brought the nations around them to spank them. They were under great oppression by these other nations until they turned to the Lord. God raised up a judge. Then they got right with God again, and they had peace for a time. And then they kept doing this cycle for 400 years. And why? Because in those days, Israel had no king. Well, they had a king. It was King God. But they didn't want to acknowledge God as king. So what were they doing? Whatever was right in their own eyes. You know, in all of the bizarre stuff in the closing chapters of Judges, one important takeaway, when we think about what described the culture of that day, and we think about our own culture, not too far removed. There's a lot of people who want to do what is right in their own eyes. Truth is a very relative thing in our culture today. If there's a phrase that bugs me, but it's indicative of where people are, it's when people go around saying, well, my truth is this. My truth? I mean, truth is absolute. It either is or it isn't. You can't just suddenly decide that you will make up what you think is true. It either is true or it isn't. But that's what happens, you see, when people don't have God as the standard. When they make themselves as the standard, then everybody goes around saying, I'll do what is right in my own eyes. It's my truth. It's my truth. And then I'll fight you over your truth. But when a people honor God and see God is the one who sets the standard, God is the one who defines what is right and what is wrong, God is the one who says what is good and what is evil and we live according to his standard, well, then we're trying to lead our lives in a way that honors him because he is our king. We don't want to do what is right in our eyes. We want to do what is right in God's eyes. We want to please God. So it's not too far removed when we read Judges from some of the things in our own culture. And again, it's because people don't see God as the standard. They see themselves, they see culture, they see the majority, whatever the voices say, the most voices say, then that must be what is true. No? No, it's what God says. For that reason, when you determine to live according to God's standard, some in the culture will think you're haters, you're bigots, you're intolerant, you're this, you're that, when in reality you're just trying to honor God and live according to what God defines as right and wrong. What is true and false? What is up? What is down? Isaiah prophesied and he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. We're living in a time where it's upside down truth. People want to determine what they think is right and wrong based on their own personal idea of truth. You stand strong, Christian, and you don't need to do it in an abrasive, unkind way, but don't compromise. Make sure that you live your life because you want to do what is right in God's eyes. Let the naysayers say what they want. Because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Father, for your truth. And we pray that we would be people who would do what is right in your eyes, not what is right in our own eyes. May we submit ourselves to you, to your word, to your standard. You are perfect in all your ways, Lord. And we just want to live our lives in a way that pleases you and honors you. So help us. Help us, Lord, not to get caught in the trap of our culture, but to follow after you with all our heart, to please you, Lord. 
to honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is a bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know